So quick question for everyone. Has anyone here ever gone under the knife? That's a high percentage of people. Um, you're going to go under the knife again today. I'll, I'll explain a little bit. So, so there was this middle-aged guy, nothing like me, but uh, this middle-aged guy, and he was sitting awkwardly in an office, and he was waiting for something. It was his first meeting with a therapist, and he wasn't sure what to expect. His life was in shambles, and he was desperately stuck in old patterns of behavior. He had lost jobs and family and recently was left by his spouse of many years. He couldn't get his act together and every aspect of his life seemed to just be going in circles or wandering and experiencing dead ends. He said, my life was like on a rinse and repeat cycle. It looked like Groundhog Day and things were going over and over and over again. You ever felt like that? The monotony, though, and his discomfort got so great, he broke down and sought help. And he came in that office awkward with a hope that the pain would subside and life would eventually be different. And he sought the, the answer to a question from the counselor that he believed would be life-altering. And he had been asking this question for, to himself and to God for a really, really, really long time. He said to himself, what must I do? What must I do? He simply wanted to know what was required of him so his pain could stop, so he could get out of the predicament which he helped create, and he found himself in so he could live peacefully. I want to know, you don't have to shout it out, but have you ever asked this question of yourself or to God? What must I do? Or what must we do? Can you just show us? I feel that way when I turn on the TV and deal with the politics going on in this world. It's a logical question to ask when we're stuck, when we're wandering, when we're in pain, and when we're not sure what to do next. We long, I long for relief or hope, or perhaps you can even see what could be new and beautiful and not painful out in the future. Not too far away. Maybe you can see it, but you're not sure how to get there because you're stuck in Groundhog day and you just want the answer to what must I do? It's a question that uh, humans have been asking for millennia, especially when we're feeling powerless or we want to get somewhere better, but we don't know how. And if you've ever asked that question, there's a solution to it. Ooh, yes. You must go under the knife. This is a boning knife. I just got it from the other, other place. I tried to get a scalpel, but it didn't work. I can't try to get it from my father-in-law. Anyway, this is a boning knife. You gotta go under the knife. So the section that uh, Jenny read for us uh, from Deuteronomy is called, uh, the subtitles, if you look for it online, it says, The Essence of the Law. 
So it's describing the essence of the law for the, from the Hebrew Bible. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Hebrew Bible, and it actually literally means, Deuteronomy literally means second law. The Israelites were wandering like nomads in the desert, and they left slavery, but they had been stuck for a really long time. And what they thought would be a quick four-year journey from Egypt to the Promised Land ended up being 40 years. And everybody that was a part of that beginning journey, God said, or the scripture said, that would be gone, would be dead before they entered the promised land, including Moses, except for two people, Caleb and Joshua. You got it. Somebody shouted it out. And that's the next book of the Bible we're going to read. And P.S., it's the most violent, it's the most disturbing, and it's, the hard, it's one of the hardest ones. But stay tuned. We'll... Uh, I don't think I'm preaching next week, so that works out. Um, so, yeah. But they ended up being stuck for 40 years. So here in the desert and in their wandering and wondering, the, I suspect the Israelites asked that same question that sometimes we ask. What must we do? Because God, if you remember way back in Abraham, had promised that they would inherit the promised land. They hadn't. God had promised that they would have as many descendants as the stars. They had forgotten. And the scripture said that they'd started with just 70, and now they had millions. God said that they'd experience protection and blessings. It didn't seem like they were blessed while they were circling in the desert. Now, many scholars assert that this book wasn't written when they were in the wilderness, but it was written 800 years later after they were in the exile. So they had already, so the, the scholars would say the people who were writing this book, it was 800 years after they were in the wilderness, they were in the promised land for a while, and then in 586, exile happened, and they're in the exile in Babylon, and they're writing, they're writing this, this memoir, so to speak, to us, to you. And the question that they're asking in that time is, how do we get back to the promised land? Whereas the wandering Israelites in the desert for 40 years is, how do we get to? And sometimes that's true for us. We experience life and peace with God and other relationships as connecting. And then it just kind of fades away at different times in our life. So maybe you're asking, how do we get back to the promised land? So Moses poses this question, which says, So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? It's the same way as saying, what must we do? And Moses gives us the answer. It applies to those people in the desert a long, long time ago. It applies to the people in exile writing it, and even to us, both individually and as a church. Whether you're in slavery in some part of your life, whether you're wandering in the desert, wondering whether you'll arrive, or whether you're enjoying the fruits of the promised land, this book and this scripture has a message for you. And I know that there are some because... I've been told at different times in different places that feel distant from God. They, they have felt God in their life, but then God just seems to fade away. And if that's you, 
too, there's a message here for you. So this is what Moses says. Will you throw that slide up for me? It says, and I, I did the NRSV. We read the uh, CEB before. Only to fear the Lord. We don't like that. Your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of your Lord. Interesting, huh? That's a lot, wouldn't you say? Jesus used this book 10 times. On 10 occasions in the New Testament, he refers back to it. And the only book that he quotes more, only by one time, is the Psalms. Somebody knows their Bible back there. Nice work. It's the only book that Jesus uses when thwarting the words of evil in the desert from Satan. He uses Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy only. It offers guidance for us for any season. But that guidance that we read seems a little bit overwhelming when we're wandering in the desert. Walk in all of his ways. Revere God. Another way to say fear God is to revere God. Love him. Serve him with everything you've got and keep the commandments. It doesn't sound so simple for us. But if you're a Christian, if you're somebody who's following Jesus or somebody exploring what that actually might mean, then I want to suggest to you, it's time to get circumcised. Because that's what Moses tells us to do. So I like the way the NRSV says it. It says it a little bit different than the CEB. You throw that up. Cir it, now, so the CEB says circumcised, but this one says, circumcise then the foreskin of your heart and do not be stubborn any longer. What? Yes, of your hearts. Here's what I think that might mean. As I was praying and thinking about this, Honestly, I think here's what I think this might mean for us, for you, for me. Become vulnerable. Become vulnerable and overcome whatever stubbornness is preventing us from doing that. It's a clear way to revere God, to walk in his ways. In our culture and quite frankly, and where we're nestled in in the city of Tampa, we don't like vulnerability. We don't like to show it. We don't like to share it. And I'm not saying have no boundaries at all. What I'm saying is there are opportunities to be vulnerable, to invite God into the places where you have blocked God from getting in. When we are in our own des deserts, when we are in our own pain or bad hurt, our, our bad habits, hurts, or hang-ups. We don't invite God in. And sometimes we don't invite our Christian brothers and sisters in either. A couple of months ago, somebody went and sat down with me. I hadn't seen that person for very long, uh, in a really long time. And they were struggling mightily in a relationship. And the rela relationship was dissolving. They had never contacted anybody until it was already over. Vulnerability is important. When we walk the journey alone, we often have a hard heart. And see, the pathway to love requires we open ourselves up to the power of God. 
And sometimes we forget that as kind of modern people. God has a power that can absolutely change your life. Transform it. Change what's going on in your life, or at least the way you view it, or the hurts that you have, or the habits that you have, or maybe even the way you see brokenness in your own life. God can transform it all. And an easy way to engage it is spiritual practices. So my question for you is, where in your life are you being stubborn? What relationships or circumstances have you built a grainy exterior around your heart where you need to let God open you up? But being vulnerable and shedding stubbornness, and I'm a stubborn person. Just ask anybody who's near me. I'm very stubborn. But that's not the only way. Martin Luther King and some of you will know this quote. It says, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? And that's another way of saying, get out of yourself. Help others, especially when you're in exile, especially when you're in the desert, especially when you're in the promised land. It gets you to take your eyes off your belly button, which is thinking about you and me and my life and all that, and brings you up to look around to see what in the world, what, what are the ways in the world that God can use you to transform and heal it? How are you helping others? 12-steppers get it better than anybody else because it's life or death. If they don't help somebody else, they're going to die. So they do it. But for Christians, it's us too to keep what we found in Christ. We've got to give it away. How are you giving it away? How are you giving it away? So the scripture that... Jenny Red says this, it's God who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in Egypt too. So how does God execute justice like this? In charity. Charity is the giving of clothing, and justice is looking why we have to do that. How does God accomplish that? I'll tell you, through you. Nobody else. Through you, through us, in spite of us. Teresa of Avila is one of my favorite Christian mystics, and she says this, that Christ has no body on earth but yours. He has no hands but yours. No feet on earth but yours. You, yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on this world. Yours are the feet through which he walks to do good. You are the hands through which he blesses all the world. You are the hands. You are the feet. You are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but you. We are called to make God's love real. If the question is, what am I to do? Then the answer might be, find a way to serve. Find your place to serve in and through the church or in the world. God has made us to be a blessing and to find our role and 
bringing about God's transformation here and now. And if you have yet to determine what that is for you, if you haven't found a place to serve in and through this church, I want to help you. Bevy wants to help you. Every, write your name somewhere on a connection, on a prayer card, and, and we'll help you. And here's why it matters. Here's why it matters. Moses tells us it's this, and this is a good reason. He says, it's for your own well-being. That's good reason, I think. But I think it's bigger and more important and more powerful than even that for our well-being as a church. And it's because as we become vulnerable and we let God do some cutting on us, and as we become less stubborn or more willing, we basically allow Christ to be proclaimed. Some, you might be the only Bible that somebody ever reads. You might be the only servant that people say, hey, that's a Christian. Christ is proclaimed through you. That's why I don't put a bumper sticker on my car. Because sometimes I don't, I don't drive as well as I could. <laughs> what must we do? We must be vulnerable. We must be willing and less stubborn. And we must find a way to serve. I pray that you might do that this week. Let us pray. God of light and love, love, we give thanks for these words of the second law. Show us the ways that we can revere you this week and walk in your ways and find ways to love you and serve you with all of our being. Help us to remember to be vulnerable to you and to whomever you would have us trust. Circumcise the foreskin of our heart so that we can make God so real. It is in Christ's name we pray, amen.